Amen. Turn with me if you're in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 1. Now we've been talking about the sin unto death. Uh, who qualifies for it? Who doesn't? Exactly what it is. We're going to talk about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit a little later on. But I want to deal with something here right now that has come up many, many times in people's discussions. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 begins to deal with a situation in the church at Corinth that Paul had to deal with very drastically. Now before we read this, I want to set a backdrop for you that the reason that the church, the early church had to deal with these issues so much and so like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 is because the apostles are responsible for church doctrine. Keeping the church in the right uh, doctrine of the Lord Jesus. And so there was a lot of things coming up trying to get them away from the Word, away from God's plan. And uh, they had to deal with it quite directly. And so this is one of the things that was trying to get in on the foundation of the church here. And that is uh, lasciviousness or, or you know fornication. And he says, he, let's just go ahead and start with verse 1. I want to read all 13 verses in this. He said, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and not rather mourn that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among, and that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you for verily as absent in body but present in spirit I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. Which meaning, it's meaning fellowship there. For what have I to do to judge them that also that are without? Do not you judge them that are within? 
But them that are without, God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now that brings us to how we started this course in 1 John 5.16, talking about people, if you see, it says there, if you see your brother or sister sin a sin that is not unto death, you can ask and give life for that sin that is not unto death. He said there is a sin not unto death, or unto death, and I say not even pray for it. And so I, it really captured my attention as to why the dynamic, again, I, I'm a why guy. i, I got to find out why of everything. Uh, Peter addressed some situations because he was an apostle. And he said in chapter uh, 4 of 1 Peter, verse 17, he said that judgment must begin at the house of God. And, and I think he says if it, be, if it begins with us, then where will the sinner and ungodly appear? So you see, there's, there's, there's a reason why that we are to deal with these things as a church. Now, Paul had determined that this man that had, uh, was committing fornication, I, I, I assume it was his stepmother, I, I hope to God it was, uh, but anyway, uh, he says that, he said, I have determined that this man that be turned over to Satan, remember why? for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. So we know that that sin that he's talking about here is a sin unto natural death, not spiritual death. See, Now the thing about not dealing with this with people and helping people when they're caught in these situations is that as they progress and get further and further away, from the thing of, things of God, from His love, and from the things of the Word of God, then they can make a choice to step out of Jesus and become lost. Now, I am sure that if it was possible that God would let us go and ask this brother that was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, which was about 2,000 years ago, if we could ask him now what he thinks about it, he would say, I am so glad. Because see, as soon as you close your eyes in death, you appear in the Lord Jesus, see. And he goes on, if you'll take some time and read these chapters uh, leading up to and beyond this, this, this account here, you'll see how Paul is continually building a good foundation of, of uh, how we need to stay away from these things and give ourselves wholly over to the Lord. But I ask myself, you know, I believe that the judgments of God are right. I believe He is love, and I believe every judgment that He brings is because of His love. It's not through hatred and strife. And so this actually was an act of love, so the man would be preserved. His spirit would be preserved, and he would go to heaven. Now there is some indication that in 2 Corinthians, that man repented and came back into fellowship with the people and, and all that, and thank God. But uh, when he said here, for the destruction of the flesh, it's the Greek word olithros. But, and it never, olithros never means annihilation. So God was not wanting to destroy him. He was wanting to remove what was causing the man to be an offense. You know? I mean, what does, this, what does the word say? If your eye offends you, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out. 
In other words, you deal with your flesh. And the word flesh here is sarex. It's not talking about your whole body. It's talking about the passions and lusts that we have resident with us because this piece of meat we live in, pardon the, the vulgarity there, uh, it, it is not uh, righteous. There's nothing righteous about what we live in, this body. And so it's our servant, and we're to treat it like that. Because if we let it go, it will carry us all kinds of ways into darkness. I mean, if we just, if we just let our body tell us what we want, then it won't be long before you're either going to be dead or you're definitely going to be regretful because it'll lead to nothing but, but uh, destruction. So, uh, in 1 John 5.16, as we were saying, he says that we're not to pray for the sin unto death. Why? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why? If we see our brother sin a sin that is not unto death, or that is unto death, he said, I say, don't even pray for it. So why? Why, Lord? Why don't you want us to pray? It's because they made a choice and it would be a violation of their will for us to pray in their place. We can't change their will. God cannot change our will. Our will needs to be subservient to the will of God. And when it's not, listen, there's nothing people can do. See, The, the devil has to trick us into accepting our own defeat. He has to have our cooperation, doesn't he? He can't just arbitrarily do anything to us. How many saw the little, the little thing I put on Facebook about ignorance? It's the only weapon that Satan can effectively use against us. And it's all in our control. Ignorance is a choice, isn't it? We, we, choose, we can either choose to listen or we can choose to ignore. And that, that's where the real problem is there. So we can't violate somebody's personal choice. Uh, so let's go, let's turn to, uh, let's see how I want to do this. I, I talked about some of it last time. Let's just go ahead and go to 1 John 1. Man, I can tell I've not been able to pray this week. I hate that. 1 John chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 1. Let's start with... We'll start with verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let me tell you something. When you are in fellowship, you know there's a difference between being in fellowship and in relationship. Hopefully, it's the same. But you can be in relationship with God, which we are, and get into sin and be out of fellowship. In fact, you can get out of fellowship with one another and you're out of, you're out of fellowship with God. See, So when you're, when you're in fellowship, you, count, you encounter these things in your life and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When you're out of fellowship, it doesn't. You're going to have to bring that to the Father. And then he says in verse 8, If we say, 
Why would, why would He say that? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's, talking, he's not talking about a wholesale sin here. I mean, I, I used to be a Baptist preacher and I preached this kind of stuff that I'm about to talk to you about. That uh, anybody that says that they're, they're righteous, they get real upset about it because of verses like this that they lift out of context and say, well, you know, if, we're, it, it, you know, if we say that we're, we're not sinners, how many knows that that's a big doctrine? Sinners saved by grace. Well, that's just not true. That's absolutely incorrect. We're not sinners. When we're born again, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Our identity is one of, of purity and wholeness. See? Amen. So, so we're not sinners saved by grace. I am saved by grace, but if I don't walk in His will and in His love, I'm going to sin. See, and, and usually when these guys are dealing with these subjects like this, like John is. He's called the apostle of love. When they're dealing with this, it's talking about interpersonal relationships with other people. And so if you feel justified in your sin against that brother or sister, you say, well, how can we feel justified? If they've done something wrong to you and you refuse to forgive them and release, it from, release them from it, you're in sin. But if you're, if you're hard-hearted and not walking in God's love, you're going to say, well, they did that to me. When they come and ask me, bless God, I will forgive them. You're in sin. If you say you're not in sin, it says here that you've deceived your own self and the truth is not in you. So what are, what's our reaction to be when someone offends us? Live in forgiveness. Right. Instantaneous forgiveness. We can't afford to hold on to it because it, it, it will corrupt your, uh, 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 the Bible calls it mannerisms, or it will corrupt your walk with Him by not releasing hurts and harms out of people, you know, out of your life and stuff. Then He says, if we confess, and that word confess means, homologeo, it means the, to say the same thing. So what He's talking about here, He's talking about when you're in a situation where that you are in sin, if you will say that you are, you will confess that sin. That, that's a verb there. It's not talking about a noun right now. When you, when you confess that you have sinned, or that you are in sin with somebody, you are in unforgiveness, or you're just mad or angry or whatever it is, if you will say that to God, just notice that. I'm not talking about getting down and crying and pleading. Oh, God, forgive. I'm not, I'm not really... It doesn't even indicate that. What it indicates is being forthright, being honest, being truthful. Say, so, yes, Father, I, I have missed it. I have missed it. I, I have to say that to this young lady a lot. I have missed it, Father. Well, maybe not a lot. But notice this. When we admit this, when we just come right out, yeah, you own it, what happens next? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember last time I taught, we were teaching, talking about this? So, so, the, so the thing is on us. You know, the responsibility is on us. 
We, we are in charge of our, the way we act. Like I said Sunday, our growth is our business. It's not God's. We have to cooperate with Him and, and the Holy Spirit will grow us up. And then he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now, walking in the light is really the full view, giving God full view, giving people full view, not hiding anything, being open and honest with everybody. And realize this, that there's a great blessing in being that way. Because if we're that way, then when we encounter someone, we know that God can speak into our heart through that person or vice versa. You may have something you can give, see? So, so it's very, very important that we understand that and, and walk in light as He is in the light. So if you do sin, we said, He said we have an advocate. Let's go in verse two, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. Now that, that, that tells us that John was writing to believers, doesn't it? This book was not written to sinners. The only reason I emphasize that is there's a growing, very popular growing concept out there in the world today that they're calling grace, which it's not. But one of the, one of the big name teachers of it says that 1 John was not written to Christians, written to sinners. And that's because they didn't understand what I just explained to you about confessing it. See, They're, they're pulling it into the, into the realm of the noun sin rather than the verb sin. That makes sense? The noun sin was dealt with at Calvary. Amen? Jesus' blood cleansed us from all the noun sin. I know this sounds crazy. But the verb sin is what we're dealing with and that's what this chapter is dealing with. He's writing these things about the love of God. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's writing these things that we sin not. See? I mean, after all, we're talking about the sin unto death. We're talking about sin primarily in this whole course. And he said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, uh, excuse me, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen? He's the propitiation. He, he, is, he is the advocate. He, he is the one that you don't have to pay God off for your sins. You cannot pay for your own sins. You can't do it. It's impossible. Jesus paid it. Amen? Amen. Past, present, and future. He paid it. But we have to, when the future sins come, we have to confess that before Him. It's just not, it's not it, this is not a lifestyle uh, uh, of the so-called grace people where that you just get to live any old way you want to because it's all covered in the blood. No, there's a cooperation here. You know, there's a responsibility at hand. And, and, and the Lord wants to hold us to that. Amen? He is the propitiation. Uh, uh, he, he is, uh, let's put it this way. Jesus is the appeasement. Amen. He's the appeasement. You know, we don't. We don't. We shouldn't even try to even go there with our minds about trying to uh, pay or pay for what we've done. Now, 
All sin. There, I'm going to deal with two different words for sin in the Bible. One is harmartia, and one is paraptoma. Paraptoma is usually translated trespass. And a trespass uh, and an iniquity is two different things. Harmartia, let's, let's say it this way, all sin is missing the mark that God has set out for us, which, which is righteousness. We, we, mankind missed it. In fact, we find that mankind tried to set up a different target and still missed it. <laughs> So we can't get good enough, we can't do good enough, we can't, all of our good deeds are, are, are not qualified to appease the wrath of God. See, So Jesus' blood did appease that. He shed blood for this. See? So we don't, have to, uh, we don't have to get into a position where we think that, well, we're going through this, well, what did I do to make this happen? You know. I've heard sinners on TV and in the world. I've heard this on on jobs. I don't know what I did to deserve this, but it must have been bad. See, see. So, so, so there's that mentality that people have about sin in their life. They know there is sin. See, and Christians that don't grow have trouble with harmartia and paraptoma. Now let's get down to, to some nitty gritty about this. After all, John said, "If you see." Your brother sin a sin. In 1 John 5, 16 again. If you see. It's the Greek word eido. E-I-D-O. That means to inspect. That means to examine. That means to be skilled in. Literally, it's talking about someone who has a degree of maturity and they see one of their brothers or one of their sisters in one of those kinds of sin that's not unto death. They don't know any better. They don't realize the severity of these things that they're doing. And so you can ask God, Lord, forgive them. Does that make sense? Lord, forgive them. And I'm telling you what, when you ask forgiveness for that person, they're forgiven. They are forgiven. But see, you, you shouldn't stop there. And that's what we want to get to next. What do we do after we ask for someone? Let's turn back to uh, Galatians. Let's turn back to Galatians Chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 1. Now let me ask this. I want to tell a story if I haven't told it before. I guess I'm getting to the age where you guys need to tell me. Oh yeah, Pastor, we've heard that. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story about the Lord sending me to the First Assembly of God in Lake City, Florida one night? Did I ever tell that? It has to do with Galatians 6. Now we had just started a new church in Lake City in 1980, late 82, 83. And my son, we never, ha we never have had Sunday night services. Because, as you know, I want families to be together. I don't want churches to separate them out every time they can get some free time. So we never have had that. And we will have, you know, on special occasions or whatever. So me and Josh was, was down on the floor where we spent most of our time playing around, horsing around. I'd get on my knees, you know, and we'd box or whatever. 
So I'd, I'd fallen down on the floor and the Lord said, get up, you're going to church tonight. I said, what? I, just, it, I mean, the thought was so strong. I, I said, what? So I got up, put my clothes on, said, all right, where am I going? He said, well, that guy you met just a few days ago at the, at the post office. I met the First Assembly of God pastor at the post office. And we hit it off good, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit, but that's it, we very, you know, 10 minutes. He said, well, that's where you're going. I said, okay. So I got there, and about the time I got there, they were already up singing and everything. I had snuck in on the back row, you know, where everybody was standing. It was full. It was packed out. And I was on the back row, and uh, I didn't think anybody saw me. So just as I was, you know, getting settled there, the song was over. And the people were sitting down, and the pastor said... Well, there's, there's Brother Chumley. He's here tonight. And the Holy Spirit said, you're going to preach. I said, what? So I said, yeah, right. So as soon as he said that, and the Holy Spirit said that to me, I said, yeah, right. Well, he said, Brother Chumley, come up here. Say a word for us tonight. So I walked down there. It's about as far as from here out there in the road. By the time I got up there, I started to put my left foot up on the, on the stage, and the preacher said, well, just go ahead and preach, brother. <laughs> and as, as God is my witness, it felt like that when I walked up to the pulpit, it felt like I kept on walking and went over and sat down. And then when I opened the Bible, it fell open to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost blistered those people. I mean, the things that I, I read their mail, I told them what had been going on in that church for decades. Running off preachers. I mean, there was little old ladies sitting out there with their little handkerchiefs just crying and worshiping God. And there was other people looking at me like they was going to kill me when they got the first chance. <laughs> and so I was about... I don't know, 25, 30 minutes after I got through this. And I came to myself, realized what I was doing, and I turned around. The preacher was sitting right back here. I don't know what his reactions were. I said, well, brother, I guess I'm done. He got up, and he, it was deathly quiet. He said, well, what can you say after that? <laughs> so y'all are dismissed he said come on up front come on back to back with me and shake hands so I was back there uh, about two thirds of the people were happy but about a third of them they wouldn't even I mean they looked I'm telling you if they could have killed me you know the only reason Christians don't kill people in this nation like the Islamic people do it's against the law I'll guarantee you there's some Christians out there that would just absolutely shoot you between the eyes over what they believe so I said, brother, I'm sorry. He said, brother, don't you even apologize. He said, you knew none of that. He said, that was God all the way. He said, you go home and enjoy your evening. So he called me Tuesday morning. That was Sunday night. He called me Tuesday morning. He said, let me just tell you what happened. I said, yeah, I've been waiting with bated breath. <laughs> what happened? He said, those men called me and the deacon board called me in Monday night and told me that 
I was fired because I had told you all these things to say. And he, they said, you're fired. And I said, brother, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for you to lose your job. He said, no. He said, it's been a hassle. He said, I'm glad this was God. Don't worry about it. But So that's how serious these things are. See, about getting along with one another in church. Maybe this, maybe this, once y'all hear this, you'll be nice. <laughs> Amen. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now what he's talking about here, this fault that's translated trespass sometimes, it's translated sin, but this word fault is the Greek word paraptoma. Paraptoma is the sin that usually we have the problem with. It's an unintentional error. You didn't really go into it to sin. You, it just kind of came upon you and just kind of you know, took over your emotions. And, and it all has to do with how mature we are in the Word and, and in Christ. But he says, brethren, if any man uh, uh, that is among you be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. Now that's the Greek word pneumatikos. Pneumatikos is the, is, has only been used since the day of Pentecost. It wasn't used in the New Testament before that. It wasn't used in the Old Testament at all. So pneumatikos is talking about someone who's spirit-filled. And these are the people that Paul is talking to at the church of Galatia. He's talking to his leaders. And he's telling them, he said, now look, if you see somebody that's overtaken in this sin, he said, the, the ones of you that are pneumaticos, the ones that are spiritually minded, you restore. And about that time is when I really lit out on that church. And I told them, I said, you guys not been restoring people You've been executing people. Get out of our midst. You don't do it like we do it. You don't believe like we do. You just leave. See, I mean, I told him all that stuff. But uh, he, said, he said, you that are spiritual, restore. This word restore means to reset a dislocated joint. It's a medical term. I guess Paul was with Luke enough to know some medical terms, I don't know, but he said, you restore. You know, you can't reset your own joints. Like Frank. Remember Frank telling his testimony about breaking his arm? He trying to reset it himself, and then he said, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. I mean, you, you have to have help. And that is the condition that people are in when they're overtaken in a paraptoma. We don't need to criticize them. We need to reach down and help them. Help build them up. Grab. Listen, we've we've got enough people in this church right now that have that know enough about Jesus to where you could go ahead and be mentors to people and help them and work with them. Turn off the television and go work with them. See, we we've got to be uh, in this thing. I mean, after all, we're talking about people that uh, might be on the verge of losing it big time. But if you see it. If any brethren which is among you be, uh, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one. How? In the spirit of meekness. Not haughty. 
He said, consider in yourself lest you also be tempted. Tempted to what? Criticize and judge. Lest you also be tempted. And then verse 2 says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the word burdens here is the Greek word baros. I, they probably get the word wheelbarrow from. It's made for carrying burdens. That's the picture the Greek has anyway. So, so he says, bear you one another's burdens. Baros means something that's so heavy it can't be borne alone. See? And he's indicating to us here that the paraptoma is what's being borne. And it's overtaken him. He's, it's been put upon him. It's the picture of a big rock being overtaken. Big rock being put on you and pressed down. So you have to have help. There's people out there in this place. Now, I don't, I'm not personally acquainted with this person, but several of you have mentioned her name to me. But there is a person that used to come here that used to really work hard and, and, and you know in the church and all this. And you know who I'm talking about. I can't even remember her name right now. But this woman needs to be helped. She needs to be ministered to. She needs to be befriended. In other words, we're going to have to listen to the Holy Ghost on how to recover some people. See, we can't, we can't just, we can't live, we can't leave rather the gifts of the Spirit out of this process. You'll need a word of wisdom. You'll need a word of knowledge. You'll, you'll, you'll need discerning of spirits. You'll need the gift of faith. There may be a demon that is so big in their life, you're the only one that can help them. See, One thing that I learned a long time ago, usually when you have a conflict with somebody, that means that you are the only person at that given moment that can help that other person. And if we'll take that way, the devil will back off. Because he says, you know, they know too much about this. So he says, you which are spiritual, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now years ago, I was watching Alex Trebek on that show. What's the name of it? Jeopardy. Jeopardy. And they were talking about these two verses here in this Bible, in this chapter. And they said, where is it? That I don't remember how they ask questions. You know, they ask they ask answers, and you give the question or something. And he said, "Where is it? Just in two verses apart, it contradicts itself." And he's talking about this. And let's, so let's read down to it. He says, "For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself." Isn't that interesting? See how important for us to understand what self exaltation does. Self-exaltation will make you think that you're something when you need to learn some more. Amen? And you get yourself in problems. He says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. And so they brought that verse up and said, You know, it said everybody's supposed to bear their own burden. Or, or excuse me, you've got, you got to bear one another's burdens. And then it said, you've got to, Everybody's got to bear their own burden. What is that? Well, here's the value of Greek word study. The word baros, the first burden, is a heavy weight. And then the word burden the next time, what's it say in Amplified, Teru? It says... Verse 5, For every man shall bear his own... Every person will have to bear, be equal to understanding, and calmly receive his own little load of oppressive faults. Okay, I don't agree with that one. Yeah. <laughs> for every man shall bear his own burden. It's the Greek word for teon. 
P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N, for Tion, and it means to be responsible for your own actions. See? In other words, it's talking about something that is to be born. It's our responsibility in our life. You have to live your own Christian life. You're, you are in charge. So don't be coming around thinking everybody else is going to carry you because we are not qualified to, to bear your own, your responsibility. See, you're required to bear your responsibility. But if you, not bearing your own responsibility, get overtaken in a fault, then we will step in. It's okay, sister. It's okay, brother. We'll help you up. We'll teach you how to stand. We'll teach you how to come against these things. We'll get you baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you can pray in tongues, and you can edify yourself above the walk of the flesh. That's what we're supposed to do. It's for too long. I mean, this thing I'm doing on Sunday mornings is a huge deal. It's for too long that we have treated the Holy Spirit and this wonderful experience, baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, as just an add-on like it used to be with air conditioners in cars. Remember back in the 50s? It was an add-on. I mean, you can put them under the... My dad had one. Put one under the dash and all. This is not an add-on thing. This is vital to our success in life. This is vital to overcome our enemy and everything that we have to deal with in this world. It's so vital. Y'all get anything out of this? So for every, every man shall take his own responsibility. And then he says, let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teaches in all things. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, whatsoever a man soweth, that, and the word that is interesting there, it means the same thing that was sown, that very thing he will receive. Whatever you're sowing, that's what you're going to reap. See, this is, this is so interesting to me how that this is part of the growth process. When in rescuing people, or let's put it this way, in restoring people in the joint of the body of Christ, we're going to have to show them that they've got to stop sowing these words of judgment and condemnation and, 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 and walking around the way we, we have been. We've got to show them that if you're going to keep sowing that, you're going to keep reaping these things. I mean, this is the answer to the question, why do these things happen to me? That's the answer. Because whatever we've been sowing, that's what we're going to reap. See, And it's talking about our behaviors. Not talking about money here. A lot of people have lifted it out and tried to get you to give more money. It's, not talking, it's talking about how you treat people. Ironically, those people are the ones that are, the ones that, uh, that are trying to deceive people. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh... Reap corruption. There's so much here I can see. If you're sowing into the realm of flesh, from the realm of flesh, you're going to reap the corruption. You're going to reap the results of that. There's not going to be... See, corruption has no life in it. It has a death working in it. You know, how many has ever seen maggots on corruption and dead bodies and stuff? That's, that's corruption working, but there's no life. It's death working. See? And so he says here, he that sows to his flesh. And he's talking about these paraptomas. 
He's talking about these sins, these, these interpersonal relationships that we have. Where that we, you know, it's the sin that does so easily beset. That's what Hebrews says. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset. It's talking about paraptomas. You, you get those out. It, it, is, it is relationships that cause us to sin that kind of sin. See, That's the one that easily besets. You ever seen anybody that says, well, you know, she or he just sure knows how to press my buttons. That's what that's talking about. Easily beset, see. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that, that those sins, that those temptations come for that. He said, he that, uh, that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh, out of his flesh, reap corruption. But... In the same way, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You say, how do I sow to the Spirit, brother? I just sowed some into the Spirit, see. How many knows Rick Renner? Rick Renner's one of the greatest teachers of the Bible I've ever listened to in my life. He, said, he tells a story. I wish I, could, I probably got it back there somewhere, but I can't go ahead and listen to all them cassettes. And he tells the story of one night when he and his wife, what's her name? Denise. Rick, Rick and Denise. Denise. He said they were down in the living room floor praying in the Spirit one night. He said it got pretty late. and uh, Denise said, well, I'm going to go on up and go to bed. Rick prayed a little bit longer. And he went up to his bedroom and he sat down on the side of the bed and he looked at the at the uh, clock, and it said, I think he said it said 10 minutes till 12. It doesn't really matter. And then when he looked back, he was standing in front of a building. He didn't really know at that time where. And it was dark, and the door was barely opened. And he walked up to it and pushed the door open, and there was a group of people sitting around the, the wall. And they looked at him and said, We've been waiting for you. And he preached to them the gospel. And then when he got done, I don't know how long it lasted, when he got through, he walked out the door, and when he shut the door, he sat back down on his bed at home. And he found out later on, you know, Rick, Rick lives in Moscow now, in Russia. And he started out in, what's that? It starts with an R. I can't forget the name of that little city. But he found out, I don't know how many years later, that it was that town in Russia that he was translated to that night from his bedroom in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When he sat down on his bed, he looked at the clock and it was 10 minutes till 6 a.m. And he's teaching a lesson about sowing in the Spirit. And I, I'm going to do that in our Sunday morning. I'm going to talk about that. But that's what it's talking about here. Sowing to your Spirit. Not sowing to the Holy Spirit, sowing to your Spirit. Because these things are coming out of you and He is downloading concepts, problem solving, all kinds of things to you. And so that's what He's talking about here. You're going to reap. Rick, I remember in that message He said, we kept sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and suddenly we reaped. He said, instantaneously we reaped. So He was translocated. How many thousand miles is that? You know, from Tulsa, Oklahoma to... Riel or something, Russia. I mean, you know, four or five thousand miles. Glory to God. And then verse 9, 
it's very appropriate. Let us not be weary in well-doing. He wouldn't have said that if it wasn't a possibility. That we get weary when we're sowing to the Spirit. When we're trying to help other people. When we've given our life to Jesus as a witness, as the word martyr. We've, we've martyred ourselves for Jesus in serving humanity and reaching out and helping people and lifting them up. He says, don't, be, don't grow weary in well-doing. He said, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That means give up. Amen? It's, it's very interesting. Verse 10, I don't even really need to read it. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. So all this is capsulized in how we deal with people that we see sin. Not the sin unto death, the sin not unto death. What are we supposed to do for these things? And so, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, let's see, it's about uh, 720, about who qualifies for the sin unto death. Who, who qualifies for that? How, how do you do that? Well, let's say this first. The immature, those who've had ample time to grow and haven't grown in Christ, are, are in line to possibly commit that sin. So you see, it's very important that people grow in God. It's not really, to me, it's not an option. Because what you're giving into by being slothful and not growing in the things of the Lord is you are giving opportunity for the devil to enter in that open door. You're giving the devil opportunity to come into your life and do whatever he wants to. See, If you're not growing in the Lord, then you're liable to get into a place where that you're upset at somebody and you start criticizing, condemning and then he comes in, he, you know, the Bible in, in the book of James says, where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Amen. Think about that. Every evil work. And now we hear people say, well, why did this happen to me? Well, who have you been cussing? <laughs> you know, who have you been mistreating? How have you left the door open for, this, for the devil to come in and do these things to you? But no, people don't want to grow up. They want to go where their ears are tickled and they hear some preacher get up and say, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. He's letting these things happen to you to make your character strong. Yeah, but I smacked him. That don't matter. God forgives. It's all about love. You mind me talking about preachers like that? <laughs> Listen, I've been around them for 50 years and it's, it's not pretty. Help us, dear Jesus. Uh, let's see if we have enough time. Let, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. We're going to start with about verse 11, I think. Such a wonderful book. It's so in-depth. I want you to look at this. In verse 11... I know it talks off with the word of, so do some background reading there for you. He says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. 
For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk. Notice that. You've become as somebody that needs milk. Such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a baby. But strong meat belongs to them who are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, this is talking about people in our day. I'm sure it's always been since he wrote it a long time ago. But, but there's a real problem in the world today, not only with the church, not only with Christians, but with the world. People just don't, they don't want any responsibility. You know, I'm sure that, that most of you elderly people in here can remember the time when you were growing up and you had chores to do. There, there was no option about the chores. You had to get it done. Brother Lester was telling me when they didn't do it right, they had to go do it again. Picking beans, I think he was talking about. Because I, I, I'd pick some beans, help him pick some beans, and he'd go back and have to pick some more where I'd already picked. <laughs> but you see, people, people today, they don't, really, they don't know anything about responsibility. And that's crept over into the church. Sometimes I really wonder, it's, it's how the church goes, the world goes. Uh, so, so it may be that we are the one that started it. Where, where this complacency, this dull of hearing, laziness, I'm telling you, it is so important that, that we not become that way because it's those kinds of people that can adopt a religion outside of Jesus being the only way. Because they don't have any, they're, they're not skillful in righteousness. That's, that's how the fake grace message got started. Where that it's all about love. The devil's going to be saved one of these days. Because God is love. And He will not send anybody to hell. Listen, God does not send anybody to hell. People go there on their own volition. They choose. It's a choice. Even though they've been deceived, it, it doesn't matter. So... That dull, that nothros is it, the word nothros. Dull literally means stupid, slow, indolent, lazy. Seeing you are dull of hearing, he said. For when the time you ought to have been teachers, you have need that one teach you. So let's look at chapter six now. Uh, verse twelve down there uh, is very interesting how it ties in. Uh, with uh, verse 11 of the 5th chapter, says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. But that you be not slothful, neutral, or dull, but followers. It's the Greek word mimetes. Followers is, is the word for imitation. To imitate people. Years ago, I had a class called, I titled it the uh, Timothy class. And it was men and women that wanted to get in the ministry. And they wanted, to, they wanted me to show them what little knowledge I had about getting back in the ministry. And, and you know, it's, it's, I had to share this with them. That when you're young, I wish to God I'd have known this when I was 15. I'm telling you, oh. God had so much mercy on me. 
But I had to tell these guys and these gals this, that you need to... See, God will put people in your, in your path. He, he will send you mentors, be, be, if you're smart enough to realize that, that it is, and invite those in. I'm very careful who I let in my heart. But God has sent people in, in my life. And I have followed them. Memites. I have imitated them. Because usually it takes around seven years to develop your own style. I don't know why it's that way, but usually. And you have to realize that, that uh, it's okay when God sends these men in your path to act like they act, to say like they say, to preach their sermons. It's okay. It's all a training process. So he says, be followers of them, notice this, who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Now, I'm going to use this for an illustration. If, uh, if I am wanting to know how, let's see. I've learned some good things from, from you people just by taking us out in the, 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 the ranch there to see those cows. If I wanted to learn how to farm cattle, I would hook myself up with this brother or Bobby, and I would say, look, I'm going to watch you, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to see everything you do, I'm going to ask you why you're doing it, and I'm going to act like you act with my cows. That's the picture here. We need each other. We need to take people on as projects. And you see them, you, you, you pray with them, you teach them the Word of God. If you can't teach the Word of God, give them some CDs. But you, you school them and help them and up, up, uplift them. And if you see, and that's, that's why that indicated there in Galatians, that that person is watching. You know, the Bible says to watch and pray. Watch these people and, and observe them. And if you see them go awry, help them, restore them. If, they, you know, if it's something they keep on doing, just, just go ahead and ask God, God, just forgive them of that. They don't, they don't know. You know, Stephen did that when he was being stoned. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. I, I'm not holding against them. And guess what? God didn't hold it against them either. So, when you choose to release somebody's sin out of your life, it's gone forever. God is not going to bring it back to them. Because if He did, He would say, well, you know, I know that your prayer wasn't that good, so... No, we have that kind of authority. Listen, we ought, we ought to be a, a, a church of leaders where that we're going out and winning people to Jesus and not stopping there. Go ahead and training them and educating them and showing them how to walk this way. Amen? Now, we're going to get uh, a little later into chapter 6 and chapter 10 of Hebrews. Because chapter 10 especially, it's, you know, if, if anybody... Uh, uh, let's see, where is that? Where he's talking about how that if, if you walk away, it's impossible to renew you back. In verse 6, he's talking about some of the same things. And we're going to talk about this, how that it's just the opposite. Because see... Because of the misconstrued concepts about these two passages, people in the past have taught, and I, I was taught this, that you better not get too spiritual and too mature. Because after all, if you, if you have gotten all that and then you fall away, verse 6, if you fall away, it's impossible to renew you again unto repentance. See? 
So, so then you know where that doctrine came from. The devil doesn't want you to grow. And so he's, he's misconstrued this. Let me just go ahead and say this. I think this is on my notes for Sunday, but I'm going to go ahead and say this, that the devil, Satan, is one of the best interpreters of God's Word. I should say foremost, not best. He will come as soon as you hear this word tonight. It's, chances are he'll come and lay down another thought in your mind about it, which will deviate you from it. We just heard some stories last night from, or yesterday afternoon from a preacher that pastors down in Immokalee, Florida about people that uh, you know, were just overtaken. And, and they, they, the, the woman had such a bad problem with uh, schizophrenia, wasn't it? Wasn't it schizophrenia? Huh? Depression. Depression. Anyway, uh, he, he finally convinced her to start praying in tongues. I mean, nobody could get along with this woman. Nobody, you know, it was just, she was a mess. I mean, on medication. And so she started praying in the Spirit, and she prayed, I don't know, six, seven months. And he said, man, this woman got, she got to where it was good to be around her. You just wanted to be around her. She was happy and joyful. But then she got carried off into the, into the modern grace message. Huh? Ultimate reconciliation. Yes, ultimate reconciliation. Where it's all about God's love in you. You don't have any responsibility. And she got to where she totally rejected it. Totally rejected tongues, totally rejected everything, and just went away from God. Because she knew, after all, if the devil's going to be saved, there's no problem with me. So you see, it's important that we grow. Now most of you have been here long enough and hearing me... <laughs> that you realize that's what I'm all about. Growing people in the Lord. That's, you know, that, all I have to offer you is the Word. That's all. I mean, that, that's all I want is the Word of God. Because it is my sustenance. It's my meat. It's my, it satisfies me. And that's what everybody else needs too. So we'll get into chapter 6 a little later. Uh, but do, do, do some searching in uh, all these different places about, where, about sin and and all you know, confessing your faults. You know that word "fault" there in, in James. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. That word's paraptoma, not hamartia. It's paraptoma. Confessing your faults toward you know, say, yeah, I, I've admit that, you know I got a problem with this, and and he indicates there that you be healed. So we'll we'll get into that a little more. And uh, I didn't I didn't dare think that it was going to go like this, but it has. Amen. Any questions?